Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. This morning, um, I'm going to give you a name. Do you know who Terry Eugene Bollea is? Terry Eugene Bollea. I'm guessing that most of you probably don't, but you might know you might know if I give you this name. Do you know who Hulk Hogan is? That you probably know. Terry Eugene Bollea is Hulk Hogan's real name. He's considered to be the world's most recognized professional wrestling star. He is definitely the most popular wrestler of the 1980s. In the 80s, he was a hero. He dressed in red and yellow, and he fed off of the energy of the crowd. He called his fans Hulkamaniacs. He and I share something very, uh, we share something in similarity, a couple things. Number one, we are both, we both have the middle name Eugene, and number two, our biceps are about the same size, <laughs> give or take a little bit. Um, no, uh, in the 80s, he was the hero, but then later in the 90s, he played more of the villain role, and he was known as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Uh, in 2005, he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, and then in 2021, he was inducted into the International uh, Wrestler, Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, the last few weeks, I've been talking about strange stories in the Bible. Uh, there's many of them, many stories that are just kind of strange, and you kind of read through them, and you go, Wow, what is that about? And so we've been talking about that. And there's a strange story in Genesis about a late night wrestling match. And one of the wrestlers was a man named Jacob. And the other wrestler was a little bit more mysterious. So let's read this. It's in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 through 32. And here's what it says. It says, during the night... Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servants' wives, and his eleven sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions, and this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked, and he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel, because you fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God, for he said, I've seen God's face face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. That's definitely a strange story. So let's let's spend some time and let's talk about it. Why is God going all WWE here on Jacob? I mean, what's this all about? 
Well, first, let's talk about who Jacob is. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham was the man who had been called by God, who would become the father of of a nation of people who would be God's chosen people. They are the people that God made a covenant with. They are the nation that God would be with, that God would work through, and that God would bring the Messiah to. That's who Abraham was. And Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac and his wife Rebekah, they were Jacob's parents. Genesis 25 tells us about when Jacob and his twin brother Esau were born. In Genesis 25, verse 21 through 26, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger and the other than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. So that's Jacob's birth. The Hebrew word for Jacob means to grasp the heel. It was also a Hebrew idiom or a phrase that meant to deceive. And that name became very prophetic for who Jacob is. Because Jacob was known to be very shrewd and known to be a deceptive person. One afternoon, he was cooking up some stew. And his brother came in and was desperate for something to eat. And the Bible tells us that he had been out in the open country hunting. And when he comes in, his words are very intense he says, he says that he is starving, that he's famished, that he needs something to eat. He's going to die if he doesn't get something to eat. And maybe that was an exaggeration. Or maybe he had been on a long hunting trip and had no success and his supplies had run dry. We don't know. But regardless, Jacob uses this moment as an opportunity. Esau comes in, I'm famished, I'm starving, I need food right away. And Jacob says, hey, I've got an idea. I'll give you this stew, but not until you promise me, give me the birthright. He uses this moment to strike a deal. You can have the stew if you give me the birthright. And the birthright was all the rights and the privileges typically given to the firstborn son, which would have been Esau. Even though they were twins, Esau was born first. The birthright was the status, the position as head of the household being handed down. When the father passed away, the one who had the birthright would receive a double portion of whatever was passed down. The father could choose to rescind the birthright. It didn't have to go to the firstborn, but it typically did. The father could say, no, I'm going to give it to someone else. And apparently, somebody could reject the birthright. And that's essentially what Esau does. Esau's hungry enough, desperate enough, 
that he says, hmm, stew right now, birthright later, I'm going to take the stew right now. So we see that Jacob kind of is a little bit shrewd. You know, he saw this opportunity and he just grabbed it. And so then later, when Isaac, his father, is older and frail, he's losing his eyesight, probably losing some more of his senses. Jacob uh, and his mother come up with a scheme to have Isaac give his parental blessing to Jacob instead of to Esau. And Isaac had sent Esau out hunting, another hunting trip. He says, go out for me, catch some fresh game, the kind that I like, bring it back and fix it for me, and then I'll give you this blessing. And Rebekah overheard this, so she had Jacob make some food and take it into Isaac. And she also had him wear some of Esau's clothes. And then she covered up his bare hands and his neck, with some goat skin. It was a very deliberate and very elaborate disguise. It was a ruse. It was a deceitful sham. And honestly, it seemed like it was something that was very unlikely to work. I mean, how's this going to get pulled off? Uh, Jacob came in with food so soon after Esau left. He served prepared livestock instead of wild game. He couldn't hide his voice. And is goat's hair really going to feel like human hair? I mean, this seemed unlikely, but remember, Isaac is old, frail. He's going blind, and he's probably losing even more of his senses. And Isaac actually does question this quite a bit. If you read through the text, Isaac questions it quite a bit. But when Jacob comes close and Isaac smells Esau, that's when he became convinced. Genesis 27, verse 27 through 29. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So Esau now has the birthright and the blessing, or Jacob has the birthright and the blessing that had belonged to Esau. The birthright was the rights and the privileges. It was the physical position of authority being passed down. The blessing was a sacred tradition. It was a verbal prayer of declaration. It was a proclamation of destiny. It was considered very honorable and very special to receive the blessing. And the person who was giving the blessing was responsible for administering the inheritance. Jacob bought the birthright with a bowl of stew. And Jacob stole the blessing with an act of deception. Needless to say, when all this happens, Esau is not happy about it. Esau's not happy about it because he's been tricked out of his birthright and he's had the blessing stolen from him. 
And so Genesis 27, 41, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Jacob's mom, Rebecca, hears about this threat, and so she sends Jacob away. Hey, hey uh, Jake, your brother's a little mad. Um, in fact, he's more than just a little mad. He's kind of making threats, and maybe it's good if you just kind of, you know, uh, go stay with your uncle for a while. So, he sent, so she sends him 500 miles away uh, to his uncle Laban. And on his way there, this is weird too, we could have done a whole message on this, because on his way there, Jacob has this strange dream. There's a ladder reaching up to heaven, and there are angels coming up and down this ladder, and the Lord spoke from above, and he reaffirmed his promise. Remember, the Lord had made this promise to Abraham, to Abraham's family, and so in this dream, the Lord reaffirms the promise that was made to his grandfather, and the promise that continued through his father Isaac, and now the promise is going to continue through him. And Jacob arrives there in Haran with his uncle, and he settles down, and he comes to love a woman named Rachel, and he wants to marry her, but her father, her father, deceives him. Bunch of liars at this point in history. That's what they all are. And she deceives, or he deceives him into, he says, you, you have to marry the older sister first. Um, the older sister Leah. And so Jacob does, he works, he marries Leah, he marries uh, Rachel, and builds a life. He builds this life with a large family and some very significant wealth. And at this point, he has 12 children. With Leah, he had six boys and one girl. With Leah's servant, he had two boys. With Rachel's servant, he had two boys, and with Rachel, he had one boy, and later on, he would have another son with Rachel. But now at this time, he's got all this family, all this wealth, all this success, and he decides, maybe it's time for me to go back home. Maybe it's time for me to go back to the homeland. But you know what he's thinking, I didn't leave on good terms. I didn't leave on good terms. It's been 20 years. A lot has happened. But my brother still might want revenge. He may want to still get back at me. He may want revenge. So he sends messengers ahead and he sends gifts ahead to let his brother know that he has plans to return. But when the messengers come back, they say, Esau's on his way. He's going to meet you, but he has 400 men with him. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, what does that mean? That, is, that a, is that a threat? So for safety, Jacob divides up his family and his servants. He puts them in groups, and he sends more gifts ahead. And uh, that's when we come to chapter 32. That's when we read about this strange late-night wrestling match. Jacob's on his way to meet his brother that he took advantage of. He has divided his family and servants and all his stuff into two groups. And he's sent them, the group that he's with, he's actually sent them across the stream. And now he is alone. He's all alone. 
and this mysterious man shows up. So that's who Jacob is. That's the wrestler that we have in corner number one. But who is this mystery man, the wrestler, in corner number two? Well, there's, there's some different possibilities. Um, it could be figurative. Maybe this wasn't an actual person that Jacob wrestled with. Maybe this is just his way of saying that he was in turmoil and he was wrestling in his attitude and in his emotions. It could be just some random guy that's just strolling through and decides to start wrestling with him. Could be that. Could be an angel. Or it could actually be God. It's not told, it's not written in to Scripture as it is something figurative or symbolic. It's not written that way. It's told in a historical context. And the encounter left an actual physical injury. Well, it could be just a man, but it seems more than that. It seems supernatural. And in verse 28, the mystery man tells Jacob, you have struggled with God and overcome. In verse 30, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face and lived. Jacob uses the Hebrew word Elohim, which was a word that meant God. It was a word specifically referencing God. There's a theological term that Bible scholars call, use it's, the, it's a word, it's, it's theophany, theophany. According to Bible scholars, a theophany is when God manifests himself physically to people. Sometimes the Bible makes reference to that by saying the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, you read the angel of the Lord, that's probably God himself. And sometimes the Bible will reference it in a more indirect or subtle way. And that's what I think happens here. We don't know who this wrestler is until he tells Jacob, you have struggled with God and you have overcome. And then Jacob says, I've seen God face to face and lived. So in corner number one, you have Jacob, Abraham's grandson, a man who lied and schemed, a man who's on his way back home. And in corner number two, you have God. The Bible says that they wrestled. Till the sun came up. We don't know how long that was. It seems to be a long time. That's hard to imagine. Was it, was it hands-on, tangled up the entire time? Or was it more like one of those really cool barroom fight scenes in a movie? You know, where they're shoving and pushing and throwing each other, and then only once in a while are they actually all tangled up? And you know, I don't know. How did Jacob last that long? I don't know. But here's a question. How long do we sometimes fight with God determined to get our own way? How long do we sometimes fight with God determined to win and get our own way? Verse 25 says that the man who was God, man that was God, saw that he could not overpower Jacob, so he touched his hip and wrenched it, but Jacob would still not let go. The NIV uses the word touch, but it's the Hebrew word that actually means to strike. So God strikes his hip and dislocates it. And Jacob still won't let go. He says, I'm not going to let go 
until you bless me. God asks him his name, and he tells him, and then God says to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. The name Israel is a combination of two Hebrew words. It's the word wrestle and the word God. That's what Israel means. Remember, the name Jacob had a very negative connotation. Jacob meant one who grabs or one who deceives. And Jacob had a reputation that matched that. Jacob's reputation matched that negative implication of his name. But now, God has changed his name. God has changed his name. He left his homeland in a dark cloud of guilt, and he's coming back literally as a new person. Why did God wrestle with Jacob? Why did God do this? Why did God wrestle with Jacob? Maybe he just wanted to get a hold of Jacob, and then maybe he wanted to see if Jacob would hold on to him. Maybe he just wanted to get a hold of Jacob and then see if Jacob would just hold on to him. There's no doubt that God was overpowered by Jacob. There's no doubt that God was overpowered by Jacob. God was accommodating his strength to Jacob. God could have just flicked him and it been done. In fact, that's kind of what happens. God wasn't overpowered. God was, I think, testing Jacob's resolve. You're going back? You're going back home? Are you going back with me? Or are you going back without me? And when Jacob held on, God gave him something that he would never forget. He changed his name, but Jacob also walked away with a limp. God wrestled with Jacob in a very, very physical way. And I wonder if God ever wrestles with us in our thoughts, in our plans, in our attitudes, in our choices. Do we find ourselves ever wrestling with God? Is God ever fighting to get our attention? Is God ever testing our direction? Is God ever testing our intention? Are we going to let go, or are we going to keep holding on to God and keep the faith? Maybe you've heard this story of John Newton. John Newton lived in the late 1700s. He was a sea captain who became quite wealthy as a slave trader. But one day he was out to sea, and there was a very violent storm, and he was just certain that he was going to die. The ship was breaking up, and he kept seeing crewmate after crewmate being swept out to this turbulent ocean water. He did not believe in God, but he begged God for mercy, and he survived. He reflected, and he wrote about that night of terror in his journal. He said this, he was 
He said, I was obliged to return to the pump, and there I continued till noon, almost every passing wave breaking over my head. But we made ourselves fast with ropes that we might not be washed away. Indeed, I expected that every time the vessel descended into the sea, she would rise no more. And though I dreaded death now, and my heart foreboded the worst, if the, if the scriptures which I had long opposed were indeed true, Yet still I was but half convinced and remained for a space of time in a sullen frame, a mixture of despair and impatience. I thought if the Christian religion was true, I could not be forgiven and was therefore expecting and almost at times wishing to know the worst of it. In those moments of that storm, a scripture that he did know came to his mind and it was from Proverbs chapter 1 and it says this, But since she refused to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. He remembered that verse in Proverbs And he wondered about the Christian religion, if it was true, and he begged mercy for God in the midst of this storm. And this became a turning point for John Newton. And it took a little bit of time, but he began to seek the Lord, and eventually he gave his life to Christ. At first, he still continued to work in the slave trade. Um, He thought he could serve to try to restrain the harsh mistreatment of the slaves. He once said because he wanted to promote the life of God in the soul. But eventually he just recognized and became very clear that he could not follow in that disgusting practice. And so he gave it up. He rejected it. And you may not recognize the name John Newton, but I'm sure you recognize the song that he wrote. Because he's the one that wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. For John Newton... It took an ocean storm to soften up his heart and get his attention. For Jacob, it was a late night wrestling match that made him a new person. What is God doing to get your attention? What is God doing to make sure that you're devoted to him, that you are going to keep holding on? What is he doing? What is being shook up in your life that is going to cause you to have to cling to God even more. Here's a hint for you. When you find yourself fighting with God, let me assure you the only way that you can win is if you lose. Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.